Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Christ is coming. This is the most certain truth that we could ever know. Jesus is coming back into the world. Just as Christ came into the world with humility through his conception and his birth, he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. We believe this because Jesus tells us this will happen. The very last words that Jesus speaks in the Bible are, Surely I am coming soon. To which the church responds, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Jesus leaves us with that promise. He's coming back. And if Jesus promises, it will happen. And we learn this fact from how he came the first time. Because he was promised. He was promised at the very hour of Adam's fall into sin, as Adam and Eve are confronted by their God for their sin against his commandment, God promises that there would be one born of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. And the rest of history that we read in the Bible is consumed with waiting for that one to be born. God works both intimately with people like Abraham and the patriarchs and with men like King David and the prophets. And he works broadly through the nations of the world to set up the perfect time and the perfect place through the people at the right time for Jesus to be born. In the fullness of time, Christ came into the world. He delivers on his promise in Bethlehem as Jesus is born in the manger so that he can die for sinners. And so even now, we know that God is at work, setting the stage through the preaching of his church to bring about the perfect time and the perfect place for Christ to come back. Jesus says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He's speaking about the sheep of his flock. And so it is that Christ will return when those whose names are written in the book of life are all finally gathered into the fellowship of his church. When the last child is baptized, when the last person is converted, then Christ will come. He will come with glory to judge both the living and the dead. And to the Christian, this will be the most joyous day of our existence. It will be a day that's filled with inexpressible joy and happiness. He will come as a savior and a redeemer to those who fully trust in him. As today, our introit uh, and the name of this Sunday is Populous Zion, which uh, is from our introit, which says, Say to the daughters of Zion, your salvation comes to you. Our salvation comes. We are nearer today than we were yesterday to the return of Christ. But to those who have rejected him, this day will be a terror and a judgment that they cannot comprehend. So we see that Jesus returns both as a redeemer and a judge. He comes as one who holds every person accountable for their sins. He comes as the redeemer of sinners who has paid the price justice demands of us. 
And so our Old Testament lesson paints a good picture of what that day will appear to be. God gives us two images of the coming day of the Lord, both a burning oven and the Son of Righteousness. And to those who persisted in their sin, the coming of Christ will be like a burning oven that consumes and burns. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the arrogant and evildoer will be stubble. The day is coming that shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that I leave of them neither root nor branch. And so it says that God will consume and utterly destroy those who remain in their sins, rejecting the gospel promises of Jesus. Those who laughed at the coming day of judgment will meet it with terror, as they will be utterly destroyed at the Lord's coming. As God teaches the church in Thessalonica, he says, with the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And so the unrepentance of the unbeliever will be his undoing and his utter destruction. But for the Christian, but for the one who hears the word of Christ and believes it, the one who trusted in Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, his coming will be a day of elation and joy. He will come as the son of righteousness. The Old Testament lesson says, but, he, but you, sorry, who fear him and his name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And so we have this image it is the first day of spring, and it's like a calf who's been cooped up in the stalls all winter, knowing nothing but darkness, coldness, and damp filth. And then the stall doors swing open to reveal the wide-open green pastures, and the calf leaps out to finally live in his fullness of life. So will be the day of Christ coming for us as we will be brought out from the cold darkness and pain of this fallen creation into the warmth of God's eternal and gracious pleasure. And once again, it says in Thessalonians, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we pray for you that God may make you worthy of this calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work by faith in his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a contrast, isn't it? We have this stark difference and how the day of Christ's return will be welcomed. To the unrepentant and unbelieving, there will be nothing but fear, anguish, and death. But to the regenerate and faithful, there will be nothing but joy as true and full life finally begins. The contrast between these reactions to Christ's second coming will be so extreme because of the radical difference in how he was welcomed in his first coming. God took on humanity so that he could die for sinners. 
And some embrace this gift with awe and delight as we rejoice at the birth of our dear Savior. Others despise the gift with indifference or anger or denial or everything in between. How we welcome Jesus in this life is connected with how we welcome Jesus at his return. If we despise his word, if we deny his power to save us, if we reject the forgiveness of sins, if we balk at his call to live by faith in him, then we will meet the day of his return with terror at his judgment. And yet if we hear his word, believe in its promises of life through the forgiveness of sins, if we sincerely guard this treasure in our hearts so that we endure to the last day, then his coming is our last, final, and complete hope. And this hope will never disappoint. This hope is worthwhile. We cling to this hope above all others because this world is dark and it doesn't produce true living hope. The biggest pain that we have from our fall into sin is that all of our human efforts eventually are consumed with futility. What do I mean by this? Is that the decay of everything, the decay of everything good that we try to do cannot be stopped. For example, I can try to live the most healthy lifestyle. I can be mindful of my diet. I can exercise. I can treat my body like it's a temple. But I will still grow old. I can build a wonderful home and construct my house with precision and perfection but eventually it'll fall apart. I can invest and save my money, but the day will come when it ends up being worthless. I can build a wonderful government, yet it will eventually succumb to corruption. I can do everything that I think is good and fruitful, and eventually those good and fruitful things will perish. And it goes that way with everything in the world. Everything we build, everything we plan, Everything we think is the most important thing ever, it's all subject to futility and decay. St. Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. And so, it's very tempting for us to become enamored with all of the futile stuff. As we place our hope so fully in things that are perishing so that we forget that our ultimate hope is not coming from this world. This is why Jesus tells us to keep watch over ourselves. He said in our gospel lesson, but watch yourself lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Christ's return is imminent. He will come just as he promised to come. Yet we do not know the day nor the hour, and he calls upon us to be prepared. He calls on us to keep watch over ourselves. And what this means is that we guard our hearts so that they are not consumed with futile hopes. 
Jesus uses some very strong language here to describe this. He says words like drunkenness, dissipation, and the cares of this life, and they kind of have a common theme. The word dissipation in the Greek literally means the headache caused by drunkenness. It's often translated as debauchery, but it means that we are so often consumed with our own pleasure that we destroy ourselves. Uh, That's what drinking too much maybe does. Or you wake up from your stupor, and you just feel awful. And over time, your body is destroyed. Maybe the best living example of this would be the homeless junkie who's ruined his life because he has become so tied up in his addiction. And we must think about that and apply it to ourselves. What does this dissipation and drunkenness and care for this life mean? When you think about the junkie's addiction, it's destroying him, but what does he do? He keeps coming back to it. It has alienated him from all his loved ones. It's driven him from society. It has broken everything in his life that was any use or any good. Yet he keeps running back to it. And in that reality, we must recognize that we all share the same sinful flesh. We must examine ourselves because there are sins that we too also keep running back to. So what sins do we cling to? What destructive thing do we have in our life that breaks or hinders what God has given us for our good? What takes the place of Christ in our lives so that our hearts shift from hoping in his coming to hoping in the next dose of futility? Because you have it. We all have it. More than likely, you have more than one. When I sit down and examine my life, I see it in myself. What pleasure or entertainment or disordered care consumes your heart and your attention in this life? Could it be an obsession with politics, the love of money, the desire to have power over my neighbor? Could it be lust or gluttony or laziness or drunkenness or unfettered anger? Could it be bitterness? Or disordered worry? Could it be avoidance and distraction? Or maybe it's just apathy because there are so many cares that you just choose to care for nothing. This is called hopelessness and despair, and it often results in lovelessness. All these things can end up becoming a false gospel with false hopes that we cling to. And they can rob you of the rising of the sun of righteousness as the joy of Christ's coming can be stripped from your heart when it's consumed with the things that destroy it. And this is why Jesus calls us to keep watch over ourselves, because the flesh wants to be gratified. And that means that there's a part of you that wants to be a junkie. There's a part of you that is addicted to your own destruction. There is a part of you that thinks that the very act of sinning is good for you. And that the pleasure that your sins bring are worth destroying yourself and your life for. And it's worth the pain that it brings. It's worth the danger. It's worth the eternal hell. And so we cast ourselves into the fire for a moment of gratification. I see it in my own heart. It's there. It's not supposed to be. But our fallen flesh is strong. And that's not what we are meant to be. Because we're given something so much better. 
As we read in the scriptures, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of whom, him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the beauty of the gospel. It means that you are no longer a possession of your sin. Your sinful flesh has been and is being put to death and brought to its absolute and complete end. As we read in Romans 6, so also you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so we do not share our sinful flesh's hope and futility. We have been made into something much more wonderful than that. And though you have that nagging sinful desire and that nagging sinful flesh in you, what does God do to it each and every day as you live in Christ? He puts it down. And he, once again, continually claims of you and about you that you are children of the eternal God who have been clothed in the righteousness of his Son. And that means that you do not hope as the world hopes, and your ultimate hope is not set in the pursuit of sinful pleasure and pride. Your hope is set in the heavens with the coming day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the Christian hope. Because in Christ, you have the forgiveness of your sins. And that forgiveness opens for you the kingdom of God and eternal life, and that is never wrong. This hope will never put you to shame. It can be rejected, it can be forgotten, it can be replaced in your heart with something futile. And so Jesus calls you to guard that hope in your life. Because we do that by living in daily repentance and faith. This is the basic human truth. What you look at, what you listen to, what you expose your life daily to will shape your heart and will guide your faith. Also beyond that, there is the promise if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. And so then we have to ask, how are we to keep? How are we to keep watch? How are we to guard our hearts? Well, it's by abiding in the word of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and guard it. Keep watch by hearing the Holy Scriptures preached and taught to you. Keep watch by having devotions at home. Keep watch by feeding upon the life-giving heavenly bread of Christ. And in this way, God will tell you what matters. God will tell you what is sinful. God will tell you what is beneficial. God will tell you what is good. God will feed you with blessings. God will determine for you what you hope for. God will call you away from those things that are harmful and dangerous to you. God will comfort you with the mercy of his son. God will assure you of his undying eternal care and love for you. And God will open for you the kingdom of heaven so that you live your life with no other hope than that Jesus is coming to you. And that is good. I want to have a good and peaceful life. No doubt about it. But more than anything else, I want to see Jesus. I want my wife and my children to see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. I want what Job so perfectly expressed amid all of his sorrows as he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my flesh has thus been destroyed, in my own flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him, and not another, my heart faints within me. That will be the day of joy. That will be the day that I look forward to. I will flee from anything that will stand between me seeing Christ on the last day. Because everything else is unimportant. If I have sin, if I have desire, if I have ambition that will drive a wedge between me and my Christ, I will seek it out and strive to repent of it so that I am drawn ever closer to him. It's better to be given, be forgiven by God than to find success in fleeing from him. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. As we ask the Lord to deliver us from every evil of body and soul, possession and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. In many ways, we're asking God in that petition of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, to not give us what we want. We're asking God to not allow our sinful desires to be gratified. We're asking God to frustrate and disrupt anything and everything that would prevent us from seeing Jesus on the last day. That's a wonderful thing to pray. And it's wonderful because it results in nothing but perfect joy. It's wonderful because we can actually only pray it according to the Holy Spirit and in faith. Because our own power, our own will, our own fallen nature doesn't want us to be delivered from evil. But God does. That's why he works faith in us. That's why he calls us out from the darkness of this world. That's why he sends the Son of Righteousness to shine upon us, to dispel the gloom and evil of the night of sin, so that the new day dawns and we have eternal life in his name. That Son of Righteousness is rising. He is coming to us, as a consume, not as a consuming fire, but as the warmth of the first day of spring. So through the darkness, we know that Christ prevails. Through the darkness, we know that righteousness lives and reigns over the earth. And it does not prevail. It does prevail over those who hope in Christ. The darkness does not win. The sin does not win. The evil does not win. How could it when Jesus forgives your sins? Your faith saves you. Jesus is coming as your deliverer. Hold fast. Cling to his promises. Delight yourself in his word. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Even as heaven and earth will pass away, his word will not pass away. Jesus is coming, and he is your Savior. Let us pray. Merciful Father, guard our hearts. Make us attentive to your word and all of its promises so that our faith may be strengthened and the day of Christ may come upon, not come upon us like a trap. Renew us daily in the hope of the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, so that as the sun of righteousness rises upon us, we leap for joy at the coming of Christ. In his name, amen.